We began this practice as a church several weeks ago, talking about what it looks like to live out a rhythm of Sabbath on a regular basis. Now just real quick, let's take a poll. How many of you in the last six weeks have had a moment to begin to try to Sabbath? Anybody? And how many of you are like, I can't wait to someday do that, but I'm so busy right now, I've not yet succeeded in slowing down. It's okay too. You see, this practice of Sabbath is an invitation of the Lord. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out and worn out? Come to me. Get away from me. Or get away with me and learn to rest. Jesus invites every one of us, if we're tired and weary, to come and draw near to him in such a way that we find for all of our weariness, be it physical or emotional or mental or even spiritual, all of our weariness, we can find in him what we need and what we're looking for. Over these last few weeks, we've talked about how when you begin to practice Sabbath, there's several things to do so that your Sabbath can be the most rewarding. And I have to clarify, to say there's several things to do is not to add more to your busy life, but to actually learn how to set aside things and do less. It's amazing how difficult it can be in our culture today to stop doing anything for just a moment. Now, as we've talked about, Sabbathing does not mean you have to sit on your couch and go nowhere and do nothing and tell everybody, go away, I'm Sabbathing. Though, if you're an introvert, that might sound lovely, and there may be a season for that as well. No, Sabbath is learning to say, let me stop all the work, all the busyness, all the exhaustion, so that for one day a week, I can focus my heart and focus my mind and focus my life on God. And what we find in this rhythm, at first, most of our stopping leads to, I need a nap because I'm tired. And once we begin to physically have energy again, we find ourselves in our stopping, learning to let go of other things, like our need for control, or our anxiety, or the to-do list that never seems to shrink. And we can set those things aside and say, God, I know they will still be here tomorrow, but today I'm going to rest. I'm going to recognize that I am finite. I have limits and I can't do everything. And so as we stop all of this control and all of our to-dos and all of our busyness, we're invited to just let go and rest. Earlier this week, I was meeting with somebody who taught me a really practical little uh, skill and I'll share it with you. If you're finding yourself super stressed, one thing you can do is isolate one part of your body and make it even more stressed for a moment. So what, what was taught to me was just clench your fist as hard as you can for three seconds and then let go. And what you'll find in that activity of intentionally stressing yourself and then letting go, a sense of rest. And this lady said, you can do this even uh, if you're anxious. Right? You feel yourself anxious, your heart begins to tighten, your chest gets real tight. Purposefully squeeze your chest as tight as you can for three seconds and let go. And there's something about that simple action that actually invites our muscles themselves to rest. 
Sabbath is learning how to do that, not just for three seconds uh, from time to time, but all the time. See, it's not just about one day a week. When we make one day a week set aside to the Lord, set apart as holy, we learn the other six days that God is just as faithful in all of our work as he was in our day of not working. That God is just as with us in all of our stress as he is in our rest. Part of Sabbath is learning to delight in God. Anybody take an opportunity to have a really good meal this week? If not, there's still time this next week. See, one of the Sabbath practices, the things you can do to enjoy the Sabbath is on your day of rest. Make a really good meal. Open a great bottle of wine. Sit down and just enjoy what God has given. Maybe that's with laughter and friends as you play board games, or maybe that's something else. Take delight in this life. See, often we as Christians are the most stoic and boring people and angry about everything. Practicing Sabbath invites us to see that's not who we were made to be. We get to be a source of joy for others, not as a burden, but simply the overflow coming out of God pouring that into us. But all of these things in the Sabbath practice would not be enough if they stopped there. See, the problem with identifying these three things, stop, rest, and delight as your Sabbath practice, here's a little secret. You can do all of those things without God. Did you know that? You can stop doing things and let go of control. You can rest and be refreshed. You can go on a good nature walk. You can delight in God's goodness and enjoy a great meal and never once pay attention to the one who's giving it. Today, as we finish our Sabbath practice, we're going to finish with the end of it all. What's the most important point, the thing you're aiming at in your Sabbath? And the thing you and I are aiming at is learning to worship God with our whole self. Not just for an hour on Sunday, but with all of who we are, whatever may come. Now, one of the challenges to this idea of learning to worship as Christians is in America, we have made worship really limited. Let's be honest. When you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? Music. Music. And probably like the 20 minutes at the start of the service, if you go to a really Pentecostal church, maybe like an hour of music. But it's the music and the emotions and the feeling, and that's worship. And so you think, if I'm going to worship, well, I better turn on my Christian radio. And sadly, not all Christian radio is worship or is even worth it. Amen. And you go, shoot, now what? And so often we think that worship has to look like I'm sitting in a pew and I'm listening and this is really boring and I can't stay awake. That's a part of worship. But that's not all that worship is. You see, worship is an orientation in one's life. We are all oriented towards something we love. That's something we love could be Tennessee football, and they will let you down. That's something you love could be Alabama, and they might not let you down, but it's still Alabama. That's something you love could be yourself or science 
or the world around you. Every one of us, we are creatures not of thought and and things we can uh, just imagine in our brain. We are creatures of habit oriented towards what we love. And so the aim of Sabbath is to reshift our orientation, that our worship can be devotion aimed in the right direction. Devotion aimed in a direction that will not put us to shame or disappoint or leave us high and dry in the fourth quarter. Devotion that is truly fulfilling. So yes, we worship with song. In fact, all throughout Scripture, song is a means of worship. Have you heard of the book of Psalms? That's literally an entire book of people singing songs to God. And if you've ever read the Psalms, you'll know that these songs to God are sometimes really terrible. Like they say horrific things about their enemies. God, destroy my enemies. Crush them with rocks. Oof. That's not a prayer I encourage most days. But some days that is the place we're in in our heart. It's called lamentations or lamenting to pour out all of who we are to God. When we learn to orient our life to worship God, not just on Sunday mornings and not just with song when it feels great, but with our whole being, we learn that God is big enough to handle everything we may be thinking and feeling, even and especially the really terrible sinful things. God is big enough to handle them and to love us in them. And he loves us too much to leave us in them. So the practice of Sabbath is learning to refocus on this good and gracious and faithful God. So as we close, we're going to finish with some some scripture. We're going to start where we began this whole thing anyway. If you'd like to follow along in the Blue Bibles, it's probably page one. All right? Genesis chapter 2. God had created everything. In six days he spoke and all that is came to be. And everything he saw was good. And then from this place of everything being good, even very good, it says this, Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. When the commandment to Sabbath shows up later in Exodus, in the Ten Commandments, when the commandment to stop and to rest and delight and to worship, when this becomes a thing for the people of God, They point back to the beginning. If the creator of everything stops and rests, maybe we should too. If the creator of everything created time that he blesses and makes holy, maybe we should too. Now I've shared this before, but it's always worth reminding, what does it mean to be holy? To be holy is to be set apart or unique or unlike anything else. In the ancient customs and practices, holiness was found in a place. 
be it a mountaintop or a cave or a temple, an altar, a space where we went and there in that place we encountered God or all the gods depending on which culture you were in. But that's not the way our God works. This building is lovely, but this is not primarily where we meet God, though that is one thing we do in this place. See, God did not bless a mountaintop or a temple or a cave or a church building and make that holy and set apart. No, he blessed a day that in the very fabric of creation, the rhythm of life, time is where we meet God, where things become set apart and altogether different and unique. And the beautiful thing is every one of us has exactly the same amount of time every single day. We don't know how many of those days we will have, some fewer and some more but we all have the same amount of time every day. Anybody ever said the, th- the phrase, if only I had more time then? Do you, do you know what usually my response would be? If only you had more time, then you'd be even more exhausted and more busy. Because it's not for a lack of time that we are worn out and tired. It's for the way in which we use that time that pulls us away from God's goodness and his grace, and his faithfulness. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to California for that learning community to learn about how we practice this way of Jesus better. And I plan on sharing a lot more with you about that coming soon. But one of the things that was remarkable, the leaders who are hosting this and teaching this have been doing these things like practicing Sabbath for years, nearly a decade now. And as they talked about this practice, you could just see a sense of peace in them. They shared some of the hardships and the challenges they've gone through as pastors and as people, as husbands, as fathers, some of the difficulties and the pains. And as they talked about all those hard times, you could see a sense of comfort just in the very way in which they carried themselves. And it was incredible to listen and learn and and talk to them because I saw that these very things they're teaching that I'm learning to follow after and ascribe to these things that come from Jesus himself truly are invitational to have the best life you've ever hoped for. We meet God in time. And so Sabbath is about setting aside time to be with him. So part of the stopping and the resting and the rejoicing includes in that day of rest, setting aside time to worship God. Now in many cases, most of you are able to Sabbath on Sundays. I'm not. It's kind of required of me to work and do my job on Sundays. Most of you are able to take a time where you gather in this setting and we worship. And I hope you continue and that doesn't stop. But what I will say is if this time together is the only worship in your Sabbath, you're missing out on so much more God has in store. We're going to jump to the New Testament to a story in the Gospel of Luke before we finish here. 
There's a pretty remarkable story that I think some of you may relate to. If you're following along in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1084, a little bit further than Genesis 2. 1084. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now here's what happens before this. Jesus sends out all of his disciples. He sends out 72 individuals, not just his disciples, but others who are following after him. And they go out and they do remarkable things. They heal the sick and they cast out demons and they're just wowed at all the things God does in and through them. And then he celebrates and he tells a story, the Good Samaritan, perhaps you've heard that. He's asked, who is the neighbor I need to love? And Jesus basically says, everyone is your neighbor, love them as I have loved you. And after this comes this story, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I love this story for a lot of different reasons. Among them being the culture at the time viewed hospitality as a really important part of your faith. To demonstrate God's goodness, anyone who came into your house, you should treat as family, which meant above and beyond, let me serve you with all that I have and all that I am, so that here in this place, you can know that you are loved by God and by me. Sometimes we read about Martha and we think just how blind she is that she doesn't get it. Like she's with Jesus and she's too busy serving. But here's the thing, she was doing the thing that was expected of her. The thing that was culturally not just normal, but an act of honoring God by serving the foreigner or the guest in your midst. Her activity, the work she was doing, was a God-honoring and God-pleasing work. And yet she's anxious and irritated at her sister who's not. Uh, any of you who have brothers or sisters or children, you may know that when one of you is doing work and the other is not, fights usually ensue. When Ezra destroys the house and makes a mess and I tell Elijah, will you please help pick it up? I often hear, but I didn't make the mess. And I say, I don't care. Neither did I. Let's pick it up together. And meltdowns ensue. And when I tell Ezra, hey, you need to help pick up these toys you scattered everywhere, He just looks at me and says yes and then keeps doing whatever he wants because he's three and he's the youngest and he can get away with it, unfortunately. Martha is doing a good and godly thing and yet she's missing the point. She has God himself in the flesh there before her and she's missing it. 
And Mary, instead of doing what everybody would expect, instead of serving and honoring and blessing like she's supposed to, simply stops to listen to all that Jesus has to say. And Jesus says, I will not take this from her. See, in our practice of Sabbath, it can be tempting to turn Sabbath into one more work. I have to do these things to get it right. And we will always be filled with anxiety and stress and a sense that we're not enough when that is the case. Our practice of Sabbath is an invitation from Jesus to simply sit at his feet and listen to him. One pastor wrote about how we honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is what he writes. He says this, We shall fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Now, in his context, it was such that the only Sabbath you got was spending the whole day in the church building where you would hear God's word and be fed great food. And in his context, that was for people who had a very poor subsistence life, everything to them, because it was the one time they could stop and rest and simply be. He says, look, we should gladly hear his word and hold it sacred. You and I live in an age where we don't only need that here in this place. Now, I sometimes hear people say, well, I worship God on a kayak. And you can worship God on a kayak. But if you only ever worship God on a kayak, you are missing out on worshiping him together in community. But together in community does not always need to be in this space and in this hour. You in your day of Sabbath, be it on a Saturday or a Wednesday or a Sunday, whenever that day of rest is, can gather with other people and can seek the Lord, can gladly hear his word and learn it. Because it's there in his word that we encounter the living God himself. It's there that we encounter the things Jesus taught and did, the way that he acted there that we learn to follow after this God who loves us wholly. And so to keep the Sabbath is to learn how to orient our life that every time we stop to rest, it's not centered in simply emptying my brain of all its thoughts, but instead filling it with thoughts that are actually life-giving his word in us, that we may over time be transformed to look less and less like me and more and more like him, more and more honoring of one another and loving and forgiving and peaceful and joyful in him. We pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This only comes to be when we discover the forgiveness he pours out. And it's one thing to hear about and say, I know I'm forgiven. It's a whole nother thing to experience it, to live in it, to walk that gracious life where daily he pours into you, where weekly you stop simply to reflect on all that he has given to you. So God, you are enough. May you continue to be enough each and every day. And so we gladly hear God's word and we learn it. One way in your Sabbath practice you can do this 
is by being here on Sunday mornings. That's one thing you can do if, Sabbath, Saturday, or if Sunday is your Sabbath. This is one way to hear and learn. Now, as I was asked a few weeks ago, well, what if we're serving on Sunday morning? Well, then it's probably not a very good Sabbath, and you should pick another time to Sabbath. And in that case, how then do you gladly hear God's word? There's one idea I have for you today. It's called the fixed hour prayer. Anybody ever heard that language before? It's really, really simple. Pick a certain time every day you Sabbath to stop and pray. Maybe that time is multiple times throughout the day. In fact, in monastic communities where they religiously practice the Sabbath as this is a a core part of who they are, one of the things they will do is every hour on the hour they will stop for about three minutes to pray. Imagine if on your Sabbath you set aside times and said, for these times I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray. And I'm not going to pray for all the things I need or all the things I want or all the burdens. No, I'm simply going to pray about God's word. God, you invite us to sit and listen, but sometimes I'm anxious and troubled. Teach me today to sit with you. God, you tell us that being at your feet is more important and better. It's the good portion. Today, let me center myself in you. Whatever his word is, wherever we're reading and learning, we learn it gladly. And when we create this rhythm in our Sabbath of being in God's word, ideally with other people, it will transform the way you see the whole week, the way you see all that God is doing and all that he has in store for you. So while this is the last week we're talking about Sabbath in our sermon series, I intend and I hope and pray that you too will continue to say, how do we keep practicing this? Because practice is something that with a little bit of practice, you gain a little bit of experience and knowledge and skill, but with a lot of practice, you get better at it and you grow stronger in it and more able to do the very thing you set out to do from the beginning. It's my hope and my prayer that as you and I practice Sabbath going forward, we would find ourselves rejoicing in God's word, that he really is a delight for our every need. See, it's there in that place of pausing and resting, stopping and delighting, there in our worship where we reorient ourselves to God and his word, that we are reminded that he is enough for all of your sins, for all of your mess, for all of your neighbor's sins that make a mess of your life. He is enough for whatever you have on your plate. He will be faithful to lead you and guide you through it all. This is my hope and my prayer for you as we practice Sabbath, that we can learn like Mary to simply sit at Jesus' feet and let him be enough. Will you pray with me? God, this morning we ask that in our Sabbath practice, he would reorient us to you. May we not worship ourselves or our accomplishments or the accolades of others, 
May we not worship our sports or our TV or our entertainment. May we not worship this creation. But God, may we orient all of our love towards you. That we find in you everything we need for this life and the one to come. God, teach us to be centered in your glory, your goodness, and your power. Lord, as we begin this journey of practicing Sabbath, remind us this week to slow down and to stop. To stop all of our wants and all of our need for control. To stop all of our anxiety and surrender it to you. God, teach us to delight in your word, to not despise it, but to hold it as sacred and to gladly hear it and learn it. That we may remember the Sabbath and keep it holy as you have commanded of us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Every Sunday in this place, we include in our worship an act of offering. We bring our offering to the Lord to say, God, I trust in you that you will provide for my every need. And so I give thanks with what you have provided that I may continue to trust that you will give what is still missing or still in need. And so if you are in this place and call this church your home and your family, we invite you today uh, to give an offering, and you can do so with cash and check by placing it in those envelopes in the pews in front of you or along the walls upstairs, and by placing it in the black boxes as you exit. If you filled out one of those teal cards that say connect on the top with the way that we can be praying with you or a way we can connect with you, you can place those in the black boxes as well. And if you are here today and came prepared to give but prefer to do so electronically, you can give online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Next Sunday is our last West 5th Sunday fun day of this year. And usually we do bonfires and other things, but as we looked at our schedule and said, let's not get really busy we just said, well, let's do it all at once. And so we will have some fires, some s'mores, and some games for kids, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I invite you to come on out and join us. Also, I mentioned last week that the following Sunday, Sunday, or the first Sunday in November, uh, we will be doing something to remember those who've died in faith in the last year or two. And so if you've not yet sent, sent in the person you want to have remembered, uh, I mentioned last week you could email me, and then Michelle in our weekly meeting said, well, that's silly, Adam. You have a lot on your plate. I can handle organizing it. And I said, you're right. So don't email me this week, though I will forward it to her. If you have somebody you'd like to remember, uh, please send their name and when they died. And also, if you're willing, send a picture um, and send it to michelle at thepointknox.com. And if you don't know that email address, you can find it on our website as well. Um, we're going to be organizing all of that this upcoming week, so please send those in. Now, every week we uh, respond to any questions that come in. So, Steve, what questions or comments came in today? Okay, it looks like we have quite a few today. Uh, the first one is a comment. It says, thank you, Point family, for praying for my grandmother. 
She passed her physical therapy, was scooting herself around in her wheelchair, and was feeling good enough to bat her eyelashes at the male rehab nurses. Yes. So she got, to go, she got to go back to her own nursing facility, and she's doing great. Wonderful. We're glad to hear that. These are anonymous, but since we've only been praying for a few grandmas, I'm guessing that's Casey. And if not, whoever's grandma that is, I'm glad to hear that, and we'll keep praying for Casey's grandma. So, All right, what's uh, next? Okay, this... I don't know what this is about. It says, um, actually, it was on page two. Genesis. <laughs> okay. Turns out it's not page one. That's just chapter one, I guess. Okay, now here's an actual question. How does what is happening in the Middle East fit into the end times and a symbolic or literal revelations? I don't have time to go through all the details. So my short summary is, as Lutherans, we actually think everything that needs to happen in order for Jesus to come back already has happened. So there's no new sign we need to wait for, no new thing we need to expect. And so what we believe as Lutherans is that these things that are happening in the Middle East are happening because of generational sin and uh, hatred and racial tension that has gone back for thousands of years. And it's not a sign that Jesus is closer to coming or further from coming, but a sign that we all the more need to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because when he comes, all pain and suffering and war and violence and death and famine and all of these things will be no more. And so rather than looking for the, the next sign or the next thing to show us he's coming, we simply pray like John does at the end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Okay, this is a comment, and I hope wherever they are right now they can hear me. This says, please remind all Kids Point volunteers to pick up a small something in the back fireplace room near the volunteer room. So if you're here and you volunteer in Kids Point, we have a little thank you for you. Um, and if you're one of the Kids Point volunteers in Kids Point today, they don't know. So we'll make sure we take it to them too. Um, Okay, this is a good question directed directly to you. It said, Pastor Adam, when do you take Sabbath? What does that look like? What I try to do is Friday night um, at sunset until Saturday at sunset, a very Jewish practice. Um, what does that look like? Sometimes it looks way better than it has these last three weeks. Um, between being out of town and then Michael's death and funeral these last three weeks, I've been really bad at doing it. Normally what we try to do is have a meal with our kids where we light some candles and we say some prayers. Uh, and in our house, we light three candles because uh, I tell my kids, why do we light three candles? Well, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can light them for any reason, any number. We don't care. That's just what we pick. Uh, and then we go around the table and we share what's one thing that brought you joy this week. We share what's one thing you love about, and we name each person in the family. And so hearing my six-year-old say something about, they love about my three-year-old or my eight-year-old, that's just lovely. Um, so that's what we do, and we, we begin our Sabbath morning on Saturday, usually with chocolate chip pancakes in which the kids cover them in Nutella and powdered sugar and syrup and all the things they should not be eating. And I ask them this simple question, uh, why do we begin our Sabbath with sweet pancakes? And it's because resting with Jesus is really sweet. 
It's super cheesy, but they love it. Um, uh, one of the things I'm working towards that I'm working at getting better at is I want to turn off all my devices and not have my phone or my watch or my TV or my computer or my iPad or any of the other distractions. Uh, I, like I said, it's a work in progress. That's where I'm aiming at. Um, and we're aiming at doing more things that are restful and joyful and centered in Jesus as a family. Um, so sometimes it's playing board games and sometimes maybe going for a walk. And one thing I would like to give is my wife, who is an introvert, who is worn out with myself and my kids all week, a purposeful time every Sabbath where she gets to just go and do whatever she wants without us. Uh, that's what I'm aiming at. So it's a work in progress, and I'll continue to tell you how it goes as it develops. Okay, we're, another question. In the story of Mary and Martha, was Martha in the wrong? Someone needed to serve and host. Why would that be wrong? I identify with Martha a lot, so how do I go about not always serving when I have a serving heart? It is not wrong for Martha to serve, and that's the thing about the story that is um, kind of offensive that Jesus does. She was doing a good thing and the right thing. And in her doing of the good and the right, she was missing out on what was right in front of her. So if you are somebody who has a servant's heart, it will be difficult to learn to not serve on the Sabbath. And for those of you who are like, I'm too busy to serve, well, we as Christians all should serve. And we find ways to do that too. Um, so I don't think Martha was in the wrong. Jesus, what he was teaching to Mary and in turn to us, is that the best thing in all of our service is to simply learn to be with Jesus. And if our service is taking us away from that, the service is not helpful. Okay, and this one, it looks like this was not anonymous. This actually came from Emily. And she said, my grandma's funeral was Monday. Her name was Martha, her identical twin sister, Mary. Their personalities often married mirrored the story as well. Just wanted to share... Sh no. I can't talk right now. <laughs> Just wanted to share that God, wink, <laughs> that the first week back in church, we opened up to Luke 10. I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing. And welcome back. And um, I'm grateful for the promise of the resurrection for your grandma and for Michael and for everyone else. So, yeah. Anything else? Let me refresh once. Whoops, I turned it off. I think. When we say come as you I, are. I think that's it. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, there's no more reading glasses. They're done. If you have questions, I'll do my best to respond to them on social media later this week or next Sunday morning. Feel free to text them in at any point uh, during the week. That number is on our website. Before you go, receive this blessing. And the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. 
And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.